0: by emailing us at info at com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting thechurchatbushland.com. Well, we are so
1: thankful you're here today. Thankful to Jeff for giving me an opportunity to be able to speak with you today and be with you. Uh, I said it in the first service. I'll say it in the second. Um, I had a good friend named Money. Um, That was his nickname. We called him in high school. And I'm going to spit it, and I'm going to quit it, is what he would say, Um, and so uh, that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to try to deliver some information from God's heart to you uh, and what he's revealed. It's been a good week of just sitting with him and being with him um, in that, and so just thankful you came today. You know each one of you are here on purpose today, Um, and God's Word can speak to you. It can be clear. It can be loud and clear today. And so I hope that God is sweet and good for you today. Um, And I just hope he changes your life with whatever he wants to do today in each of you. Um, I'm gonna talk uh, a little bit today of what it means to love without the wax. If you want a sermon title, that's that's the sermon title today. What it means to love without the wax. If you got your word with you, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Who you got this week, TCU or you got Georgia? Oh, whoever said the dogs, we'll pray for you. So you gotta be, you gotta be rooting for the underdog, so... I think TCU has 12,000 and Georgia has four, almost 40,000 students. Pretty incredible. Um, I always say that today because we're going to root for the underdog a little bit here in a little bit. Um, Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another and honor one another above yourselves. So the encouragement here from Paul is what? We gotta be sincere in what we do and how we do it and why we do it, amen? We gotta be sincere. The world is not looking for religion. They're looking for love. That's sincere, that's authentic, that's real, right? People are going to all kinds of places, all kinds of measures, all kinds of measures to feel authentic love, amen? They'll go to all kinds of measures to get there. And what we don't need to do ever as the church is just, we don't need to offer religion. We need to offer what? Relationship. And out of relationship, there should be a flow of God's love from believers to the lost world. And so as Paul encourages here, he's saying that love must be sincere. And out of that sincerity, because your love is sincere, you, man, we hate what is evil. We detest it. We don't like it. And out of that, we'll be devoted to good and we'll be devoted to one another in love. That's where there's unity and that's where there's God's goodness and faithfulness is in the midst of when our love is sincere towards others. And how do we walk in that? How do we get that kind of love and how do we really understand that kind of love? And I want you to understand that love without the wax, here's what I mean with that. When you take that word sincere, Paul desired uh, to be sincere for the church, for people of God to be sincere in their faith and walk with the Lord. This is one of my favorite word pictures in all of Scripture. The word literally means judged by the sunlight. It is derived from the Latin word sincera, which means without wax. So when you say love must be sincere, when Paul says this, when he's looking at this, and when he's saying this, they're gonna be judged by the sunlight, and it's derived from the word sincera, which means without wax. So here's what that means in in biblical times during this time, here's what that means. In the day that the pottery was often very thin and fragile, as it was fired and hardened, it cracks, there are cracks that develop in the pottery sometimes as it is going through that process and those cracks are possible. Dishonest dealers would fill the cracks with wax that was unnoticeable when the pottery was painted or glossed. Buyers soon learned to hold the pottery up to the sunlight in order to reveal any impurities in the vessel. Interesting right here, right? So when Paul says love must be sincere, he means you better not mask it. You better not feel things with the wrong things and then try to go and love people. Because it can come off as what? clanging and cymbal, right? So the idea of this and what we want you to see and what I would desire for you to see is to take the, your life as it's represented right now. And if we held it into the sun and we judged it by the sun, would we see a whole bunch of wax and a bunch of fillers Or would we see there's some cracks, but it's still whole and God is still using it? Amen? As you think about that for yourself, we fill our lives with all kinds of things and we wax over a lot of things. And with that, sometimes we sacrifice the authenticity of what God's love for us could bring to the table. We settle for things that aren't what he would desire for us to to fill that with. All the while, sometimes we fill it with other things. We we may jump from one relationship to the next because we're looking to fill the void that we fill in our heart. Our society has a divorce issue, has a lot of things going on, and we jump from one thing to the next and never allowing God to put us into the sunlight and to not fill things with wax, but to fill things with his light, amen? Amen and allow him to take what's broken in us and form something that is good, right? So my question to you, as we start this today, are you full of wax? Or are you authentically loving Jesus and loving God amidst the cracks that are in your life, the things that aren't completely right? Perfection is not the goal but to constantly be putting our life before the sun's light, before God, and to say, God, purify me. Continue to do things in my life. God, to give you this, things that are not right. But there's a constant thing that has to take place in each of us. And out of that, when we do that, our love has this possibility to be sincere. And out of that, we'll hate what is evil. We'll have a desire to cling to what is good. And more than anything, this is what's so good, is that we'll be devoted to one another when our love is sincere. God desires that from each of us. And when you look at this and when you see this, will you think, how, how do I get that sincerity or what do I do? And, and, and God gives us a reminder right here in the very beginning of this, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right there, if you wanna read right before this, God gives us key to this. So if we want our love to be sincere, there has to be a view of God's mercy constantly before our eyes and our perspective. That means that we have to have eternity in mind if we're gonna be authentic in our love. Why? There's a lot of times we struggle when we walk into a situation and we judge people or we're, it's, it's the fact of the reality, it may be the truth. You're gonna feel certain emotions about certain situations and you're gonna feel certain things, but is it what God wants you to see? Because as believers, we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. So what does that mean? That means that we have to have eternity in our eyes no matter what we see, right? That means that there's an eternal perspective that God has called us to as believers that we don't just base things upon what we see, we base things upon faith and what God's word says sometimes right? So as we do that, it's a growing and learning process. God is saying, if we view things from the mercy place of who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, which is Jesus, if we view things from a mercy position, and we understand that we did not deserve what we got, and if we, we, we work from there, then we start to have an understanding of what it means to be what it says right there to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship, but I love what the result of that is, is that we don't conform to the pattern of the world, but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we're able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. So we're able to test when we view things from God's mercy, when our perspective is correct and it's on eternity and it's on what Christ has done for us, it therefore affects and transforms us into what he wants us to be, and we don't conform to the pattern of what's being offered around us. Not just in our own lives, but the way that we view other people. The way that we view things, the way that we see things. Your perspective is so important in your growth, in your discipleship, in your sanctification. It's so important the way that you view things, not just from your perspective, but from God's perspective, That's what he wants from us, and that's what he desires from us. I'm gonna say this several times throughout the thing, but I want you to understand that God loves you, he sees you, and he wants to use your life to glorify him. I'm gonna say it again. God loves you, he sees you, and he wants to use your life to glorify him. That's what he desires to do in each of us. And one of the first requirements as a believer is to learn is to learn to walk by faith and not just by sight. He wants your perspective. Your mind needs to be on eternal things and not just on earthly things. The Bible even says, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven, right? God constantly pushes us towards eternity and eternal things because there is hope, there is life, There is everything that we need for this life and godliness when we focus on things that are not just on earth, but are also what God wants to bring to here from his kingdom. Don't conform to the pattern of the world. Transform your mind by believing and understanding that God wants to use your authentic love for him to transform and hate what is evil and cling to what is good, and therefore we can devote to one another if we have the proper view of mercy in our life and what we've been given. Luke 10, 27 says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And the last part is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So as we think about what it means to love without wax, what it means to be authentic in the way that we love people and not fill our lives with all these other things, God says right here in scripture, if you love the Lord God with all of your heart, all of your soul and all of your strength and all of your mind, all the things that make up who you are, the result of that authentic love will be that you will love your neighbor. I know that sounds so simple, but at the same time, it's so profound in how we do that and what God has called us to do. So he is basically saying that your neighbor is the key to unlocking the power and the effectiveness of this love. You're saying the person across the street, you're saying the person that I see at the grocery store that may not even know, you're saying that that is the key to the love that God has for us. Yes. Because if we're willing to go across the street, if we're willing to do what God calls us to do outside of a setting where we come in You can come to church every week, you can tithe, you can do all the right things and you're full of wax. You got all kinds of things that you're filling in trying to make it look right. You can dress right, you can act right, we can do all the right steps. And you've got, if we held you up to the sunlight, there would be wax all over the place. All of us to some degree all have cracks, all have things that we think, if people knew this about me, then they would not like it. So I would rather fill it with something, cover it up, than I would hand it to the Lord, put it in the sunlight before him and let him do what he wants with it. It's hard to do that. But I want you to understand, when we give God those things that are difficult and those things that are hard and we trust him with the things about us that we think people are not gonna like, God uses those things to glorify himself. God loves you, he sees you, and he wants to use your life to glorify him. That's what God wants to do with our lives. And we constantly have to understand that this journey with Jesus is not just about us, it's also about our neighbor. It's not just about what God's doing. I don't I don't wanna be 80 years old and fighting a pornography issue. I don't wanna spend my whole life captive to something and never having the ability to go and to access all that I've been given in God's love in relationship with him and be able to express and see God change other people because of what he's done in me. God has a desire to do things in us, but time is of the essence. Your life is nothing but a vapor is what the Bible says. And the more we sit, and the more we sit within sometimes our sin or our brokenness or the things that have happened to us, and we don't give those things to God, the more we miss out on opportunities to love people authentically, to hate what is evil, to cling to what is good, and be devoted to people because we understand that God is good in all things. So, my question to you today, and what I want to see, and what I want us to look at, is I want us to go to an old story because I feel like the old story reveals somewhat what it looks like for us as believers to walk out what it means to be love, what it means to be authentic in your love, and how to walk that out. And how to see that displayed. And I think one of the best stories in all of the Bible of how we see this kind of love displayed is from 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you got your Bible, you can turn there. How many of you love the story of David and Goliath? Okay, awesome. Nobody. You're in the wrong place then. David and Goliath is one of my favorite stories. I loved it as a kid. I loved it when I was little. It's a great story. And it also gives us what it looks like to fall in love with God and what the results of those things can be. David was known as a man after God's own heart. You don't become known as a man after God's own heart and not be in love with God. David was in love with God. As I read through the Old Testament, you know, in the Old Testament, they didn't, they didn't have the ability of what we have nowadays because of Jesus coming. The Holy Spirit can live on the inside of us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't live on the inside of people. He called people to do things by faith and he spoke to individuals, he spoke to prophets and those things. And when you look at David, when I read some of the Psalms sometimes and you read the things that David wrote, it's, you can almost feel him trying to do this, put God inside of him, right? He, he wanted to experience God. He wanted Jesus. He wanted all the things that God had to offer and the things he he longed for and wanted and desired and knew that were coming. You could see that longing in him, in his writings and things that he did. And this is the beginning stages of what it looks like for him to walk in an authentic love and what it looks like for us as believers. We can look at his life and say, hey, you know what? There's something there for me. There's something there for me. So if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 17, I'm not gonna read through the whole thing because of, for the sake of time, but I wanna, I wanna look at verse one and I'll read and I'm gonna skip around some. I mean, I'm sorry, verse, verse four. A champion named Goliath who was from Gath came out to the Philistine camp. Now it gives all of these statistics. I don't like reading all of his statistics. I said in the first service, it's like reading LeBron James's statistics, Michael Jordan, all day long, every day. I don't care about Goliath's statistics. It's incredible, it's awesome, it's in God's word for a specific reason. Uh, You can read through those personally if you want, but for the sake of time, we're not gonna look at those things. But it says, Goliath, in verse eight, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become subjects, but if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of, the, uh, uh, of an Ephorite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judea. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse had three sons, and they went to war with Saul. The firstborn was uh, Elab, and the other one, man, why do people name their kids this, man, back in the gap? I don't even like pronouncing these things. And so, verse 14, David was the youngest, uh, the three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son, David, take this roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers, uh, to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So this is why we're landing here because to love without the wax... There is, I promise you this, David is, is, is a struggling teenager to some degree. Amen? How many of you got one of those in your household right now? Right? Oh, come on, parenting is for real, right? It's for real. David is a struggling teenager at this point. But at the same time, here's what I want you to understand. At the same time, he is doing what he's called to do out in a field all by himself He's falling in love with God. He's falling in love with God. He's becoming the shepherd that God wants him to. And when nobody else is watching, God sees everything that is happening with David. David has no platform, no way that when he kills the lion and the bear, like he's gonna reference later on in this story, he kills the lion and the bear and there's nobody watching him do it. Can you imagine having a moment like this? with your bare hands and doing whatever he slit their throat or whatever he did in the moment. Can you imagine this? And not having anybody like, where's the stands of people watching me do this? This is incredible. You know what I mean? You have to remember he's a teenager in the moment right here. He was experiencing incredible things with just him and God out in the field in the middle of nowhere where he thought, nobody's watching, but God is doing so many cool things and he's falling in love with the Lord and therefore he starts to carry a testimony of, this God is real. This God is real. And so in this tiny moment where it feels insignificant, do you not think David probably came home to his brothers and be like, dude, I took out a lion today. It was incredible. I punched him in his right eye. It was, it was incredible. And it slit his throat with my left hand. You don't think he came home probably talking about those things. He was experiencing God to some level, but he was also still a human. Sometimes we make Bible characters out to be something supernatural when they are just people. Amen? He was doing what God had called him to do. And in that, I want you to understand this and see this. Does God have your perspective? If we're gonna authentically love in the way that we need to love, does God have your perspective? Does he have it? Does he have your viewpoint? Are you viewing things from a place of mercy or are you viewing things with a mallet? Does he have your perspective? Because one of the things that he grabbed a hold of in David that was incredible was he grabbed a hold of David's perspective. He guarded those sheep with his life. He did whatever it took to save him, risk his own life. And God looked at him and thought, if he would do this, what will he do for my people? Does God have a hold of your perspective? Because sometimes we get lost in the insignificant things and we think that our intimacy with God, the things that are happening that nobody else sees, we don't think they're significant. And I wanna tell you, they are extremely significant. The things that God speaks to you on your own with you and him in your intimacy, those things are extremely important because God wants to establish an eternal mindset in you so that when trials and tribulations and things come to your life, you will not just view the moment. You will not just view what you see, but you will view things from a faith perspective and therefore know that eternity is invested, involved, and Jesus Christ has a plan no matter what's happening, right? Your perspective is important as a believer and your perspective affects other people. You ever been around Debbie Downer? Ugh. You know what I mean? They just can't see anything good. Anybody? Anybody want that as a best friend? Nobody wants that because our perspective matters, right? It's a it's an important thing for us to see. And as we feast, God has called us to distribute. God is David has been feasting with the Lord. He has been understanding relationship and what it looks like to know God and to see what God can do. He's been feasting on that. And therefore there should be a desire when that perspective is established between you and him, you should want to distribute. You should want to distribute. So when God brought David to the line, he sent him there. There was not a man in the camp. Are you listening? There was not a man in the camp. David walked into a defeated, angered, frustrated, fearful, coward-filled army. Here's what I wanna say to you. Men and women and believers of the church, there are major issues happening around us. And sometimes we get lost in the giant of that feeling. And for 40 days, Goliath had come out and basically defied the army of Israel and their God. For 40 days and nobody approached it. Think of all the men that have wives and kids and have all kinds of things to risk their life for and nobody would move. They're apathetic in what they're doing. I think it's such a prophetic picture of what can happen sometimes, what's happening amongst us in America. There are so many issues that are mounting that feel like giants amongst us. And what happens sometimes if our perspective is not correct, if we are not viewing things from God's mercy seat, from Jesus's perspective, from the eternal perspective, if we're not seeing things that we need to be seeing by the eyes of faith and not just by sight, we can get paused and paralyzed in the front lines and do nothing. Think of the giants that are developing amongst us and around us in society. Do you not feel this hovering of fear over the United States of America? This fear, this uncertainty. Do you not feel the war between Democrats and and Republicans? Do you not feel the divide amongst just people in general and the LGBT community? and how we're supposed to handle that? How are we supposed to process that and what we're supposed to do? How about in the area of pornography and abortion and cancer and sickness and greed? How about our education system and where it's headed? How about divorce and crime? And here's the last one, prideful Christians. If we, if we know who Christ is, and if our perspective is on him, then I wanna tell you something, and I'm gonna let you in on the end of the book. We win. We win. We win. And so we have no excuse as Christians to sit in apathy on the front lines and watch the enemy create all this magnification around us and not be willing to risk our lives to attack those things. It's just like when you walk, uh, there's a restaurant that I go to. I'm not gonna reference it, but there's a restaurant that I go to. There's a boy in there that has long fingernails, has makeup, has the whole get up has major things going on in his life. So we, we have a choice that we can make. We can avoid that section, or I can go into that restaurant every time and say, I want that section. Well, what do you, that, I don't wanna expose my kids to those things. Your kids are being exposed to things. Your kids are seeing things. They're watching. Do you really buy into love without the wax? Do you really buy into that his love, our love has to be sincere? And the only way that it's gonna be sincere is if what? We buy into the redemption that really is in Jesus Christ. So that when we experience or we see something that's not normal, that's not right, that's a giant in our society, we don't run from it, we run to it and we're gonna test God's love against it. Ask for those opportunities. There is nothing sweeter and better than for your children to see the light invade the darkness. Teach them about it. Teach them about the standard that God's called them to and teach them about identity and what he's called them to and what, how he's created male and female. Teach them about it, but also teach them how to love people no matter where they're at. That's what he's called us to and our perspective has to be surrendered to him. And these issues are not dealt with through government and just throwing money at them. These issues need the love of God from individuals who see the way that Jesus does. That's what it needs, love never fails. The Bible says that, love never fails. Giants fall at the eternal hope, the living hope of Jesus within the human heart lived out. That's what happens. I've seen so many things that feel so overwhelmingly big fall because the human heart said yes to God. He can transform things. If eternity is our perspective and on our mind, he can transform those things. Second thing is this, the question that David does so well. Are you walking in his purpose? David was born to be a shepherd of people. He was born to be violent for the kingdom of heaven. You don't walk in your purpose if your perspective is not on God's heart for other people and for you. When when you think about his purpose for your life, David walked in it. David saw it. He understood it. But David had a choice. His intimacy mattered in his life. And therefore, it affected his perspective and the way that he viewed things. And therefore, when God sent David to the battle, when he came to the front lines, he never saw what everybody else saw. He only saw what he knew about his God. He saw opportunity. And you remember, he said, well, what's this person get? What does this person get if they slay the giant? Remember what it is? A bride and debt free for the family, free from all taxes. David actually asked that question twice. You know why? Because he's interested in a bride, right? Right? He's interested. But here's what makes David special, and here's what the call is for each of us. David did what he was supposed to do, and here was his priesthood and what God was establishing in him and his intimacy here. He understood that God was real, God was authentic, and that there was something happening. There was a testimony that took place. And therefore, when he was sent to the front lines to fight this fight, he had bread to bring. You remember, what did he, what did he come to bring? Bread to his brothers. See, it sounds so simple, but it, it, it's yet so profound. Who is Jesus, the bread of life? He's the bread of life. David had bread to bring to others in the moment when they needed it the most. Israel was going to fall. Instead, God decided to intervene with one guy that was intimate, that had the right perspective, that was willing to walk into his purpose, and therefore he brought bread to others. Do you know there is nothing sweeter than loving God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your mind, and to be able to walk next to your neighbor and to have bread to bring to them? Have things to say to them. When you go to the grocery store, And you see somebody that God's drawing you to, and to have the courage to say, I love the Lord God with all of my heart, with all the soul, and all of my mind. And to be able to walk to them, and God has been speaking things to you, and you've been speaking, and you're hearing His voice clearly, and to be able to bring bread to them, maybe in that situation. There is nothing sweeter than the gospel of that. Amen? Walking into your purpose and having bread to bring in those circumstances. Do you have bread? Some of you are starving to death trying to get your perspective because you keep one foot here and one foot here and you don't just give God everything in that intimacy and that spot where he wants you. You stay in the middle between here and the world. Do Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. David is walking this out, this very scripture that was gonna be written a long time from here. He is walking this out and testing what he has experienced and therefore he's gonna walk into his purpose and therefore he's gonna walk into what's next. This is the next question I wanna ask you. Have you discovered his promises? See, when our perspective is correct, when our purpose is based in what he wants to take us to because when our perspective is correct, we walk in our purpose and we walk into it and therefore we get to see the promises of God. See, everybody in the whole camp thought that David was just there to bring bread and check on his brothers like he'd always done. You're the guy that plays the harp for Saul. And all the while, none of these men would be able to do what they needed to do. And there was a boy that was in love with God that decided in the moment, I will face Goliath. I will take him on. And can you imagine being in this situation? Can you imagine being in this point in this this spot, David comes to the line. How he even gets there is God's hand alone. How in the world does Saul allow a young boy to do what he should be doing? here's, Here's what I want you to understand too. Men and women of the church, each of us individually, the gospel's going to go forward with or without us. It's gonna go forward. God's going to use whoever is willing and whoever is willing to come to him and to bow out and to say, God, kill me so that you can live. God's, he's wanting people to come because when, when you do this, when we surrender, when we, when we give our perspective to him, we walk into promise. And, I mean, we walk into our purpose and therefore we get to see his promises lived out. There's a supernatural act that starts to happen. And it's what the world needs to see. If love never fails, then why have we not put all of our stock into his love? All of our stock needs to be in being with him. Allowing him to transform us. Allowing him to view things differently or allowing him to uh, for us to see things differently than what we see. How many of you got circumstances right now that are happening in your life and you're frustrated? and you're mad and you're difficult, whether it's parenting, whether it's marriage, whether it's something that's happening at work, and you have no bread from the situation, you have no bread to give in the situation, and God's like, over here, like, come and sit with me. Come and be with me. I've got the answer for you. Come and sit with me, and I'll give you bread for you to eat and therefore distribute. See, we wanna just skip this and analyze the situation and try to figure it out on our own. Everything that is happening in your life needs to be surrendered to Christ. In order for us to walk the blessed life, we've got to give things to God that we don't wanna give sometimes. And if we will, not only will we get to feast and see things differently, but we also get to distribute things in the way that we need to, don't we? When David walked to the line, he didn't walk to the line by himself. He walked to the line with the Spirit of God on his life. And when he slung the the slingshot and hit Goliath right in the middle of the forehead, hit him right in the middle of the forehead, naturally, you would think Goliath would fall this way. Goliath falls face forward. See, one of the biggest battles for all of us, it's incredible that David reaches this point in this time in history. He overcame the battle of the mind and the heart. He overcame everything that the enemy was trying to magnify and to take from Israel. He overcame it all, all because he fell in love with God. And because he fell in, with, fell in love with God, he saw things differently. Never saw a giant, saw opportunity. And because he fell in with God, he walked into his purpose as the king and as the future, And because he fell in love with God, he walked into the promises of what God has for him. And he took Goliath's sword out and chopped his head off with his own sword. I don't know about you, but this is one of those incredible moments right here. And holding Goliath's head up and all of Israel celebrates and attacks. That's the God that you serve. And if we will only give him our perspective, if we'll give him our purpose, and we'll walk and get to discover his promises and the things that he's given us. There is nothing sweeter than that. And as I finish and as I wrap up, I want you to see something that that I think is important. You know, a lot of us would love to be David. We would love to experience all of those three things, but I, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where your heart is. That's what God desires for each of us to walk in and each of us to experience an authentic love and to be able to walk what God has for us. I wanna be sincere in my love. I don't wanna be somebody that cannot bring bread to my kids because I will not go sit with him. Some of your kids need you to go sit with Jesus. You ain't got no bread for them because you're not sitting with him. You're avoiding him and your kids need you People at work need you to go sit with Jesus. People around you in this community need you to go sit with Jesus because if you will, he will turn your life upside down. If you'll just sit with him, that's where it begins. And there is nothing sweeter than bringing bread and to get to see a supernatural act of God take place in our life and take place in other people's lives because of it. See, the guy that doesn't get much attention in this story because he jacks the whole thing up is Saul. See, maybe you're not David today, maybe you're more of a Saul. And there are a lot of things happening in and around you and in your home and the things that are taking place, and you could probably relate more with Saul because Saul manifested a giant of fear over his whole country. His insecurity of not giving things to the Lord and not doing what he was called to do led him to a place to where he was not trusting the Lord anymore. And Saul caused collateral damage on his own people. See, there's nothing worse and more scary to me than when when my sin and the things that I'm doing is causing collateral damage to my family, to those around me, to my business and my decisions and the things that I'm doing. It is a dangerous place to live when you are just okay with collateral damage of sin around you. God loves you, He cares about you, He has a process and He has a plan for you. God loves you, He sees you, and He has a plan for your life to glorify Him. What's the collateral damage that you need to deal with? Do you have collateral damage that is affecting the authenticity and the sincerity of your love, not only for yourself, but for other people? Some of you have had horrible, terrible, maybe things that have happened in your past that have caused collateral damage because it's been really difficult to trust God with that. Give him what hurts because he's good. Because he's good. If you'll sit with him, he'll take you down this process and this road, and it's the sweetest thing ever, that when you get to see, because your perspective was right, your purpose was on point and you walked into it, and you get to see a supernatural act and promise of God, what God's church is about, amen? What are we doing with all the giants in our society? Are you you helping in those? Are you encouraging in those? Are you just adding to the chaos? Maybe you need to surrender your perspective today. Maybe it's been off in the political world and you're just totally twisted up and you need to focus on God's kingdom and what he's trying to do in the midst of this. Maybe it's that. Whatever it is, God's here for it this morning. He loves you, he sees you, and he wants to use your life to glorify him. God, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you do and you continue to do. We ask that you would use this time to glorify yourself. God, I know it's difficult and it's hard sometimes to process How do we really love people when it's happening the way that it is around us? God, there are things deep inside of me sometimes I don't wanna, I'm scared for my kids. I'm scared for the future and all those things, but I also forget so many times in that, that we're not the first people to feel the things that we're feeling. You've been propelling the gospel forward, generation after generation after generation. I pray that we would not embrace the darkness, but we would have a love for the light in the way that we never have. I pray that we would not grab the mallet as a church, that we would grab the sword of the Spirit, and that we would find a way, God, to make a difference in this world. And I pray for everybody's intimacy in here today people that just need to sit with you. I pray that they would have a calmness come over them. I pray that men that have just run from you forever would want and desire to sit with you. I pray that we would have parents surrender their parenting and the way that they're displaying things to their kids. God, you have such purpose through your love for us. I pray that we would learn to love without the wax. And that we would be able to hold ourselves up into the sunlight and say, God, do what you want. It's cracked, it's broken, but please do what you want. I know you love me, I know that you see me, and I know you wanna use my life for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's ministry teams that'll be here. This is your time with the Lord.